Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. And welcome back to the Football by Football Podcast. This is Matt Chatham, your host. Uh, I got a couple special guests today. We're doing uh, a Pac-12 show uh, as we sort of go through all the Power 5 conferences here. We did the Big 12 for you a week ago, working here with the Pac-12. And uh, obviously, we have Brady Quinn on again, a Fox Sports analyst and obviously a writer for Football by Football. He'll be broadcasting a bunch of Pac-12 games throughout the season. Brady, what's up, man? What's going on, Matt? Uh, and our other guest today, it's just an all-quarterback show. I'm going to get ganged up on here a bit. But uh, we've got a special guest here with Matt Leinert in to do the show, former USC guy and NFL quarterback and a Fox Sports analyst himself. Matt, what is up, man? Not much, man. Good to be on with you guys. All right. Well, we're looking forward to it. So uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit off air, and uh, this is sort of my full disclosure start to the show. Uh, <laughs> we can talk We can talk about Big Ten and I can go all day with you. Big 12, I grew up in that area. I still follow those teams pretty well. I do games for ESPN, so I end up doing a lot of ACC stuff, either or either Big uh, Big East. Well, that one isn't the Big East anymore, but we end up with a lot of the teams in the MAC and things up in the Northeast. I don't know anything about the Big 12. <laughs> you know, and I followed along with a lot of the people uh, throughout college football, really following Oregon closely and sort of watching their rise over the last couple of years. But as we got deep into that college football playoff that, you know, Brady, you wrote about for us so well last year and sort of watching the ebbs and flow of that thing, I came to respect the pack and going, oh, my goodness, you know, this isn't just all about the SEC anymore. All of a sudden, you've got UCLA, which kind of is an adjutant. You've got Arizona State, which was really looking scary even as we entered December. Obviously, Oregon doing what we expect there. Stanford, even when a down year, still looked dangerous. And now we come back in another year. USC still sits under sanctions. And everyone has them as as a number one in the in the conference, which is really kind of an amazing turn of events. So, Brady, I'll start with you. Uh, sort of your just big takeaways uh, going into the season, how how the pack looks entering the 2015 season. Well, it's funny to me they almost are a mirror image of, of really what I think they were last year. Uh, you look at the top four teams returning, uh, and specifically in the Pac-12 South division. You're talking USC, who's, who's kind of the heavy fav- favorite, which. I hate to admit, but liners on, so never mind. <laughs> uh, UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State, uh, really the, the top four dogs kind of in the fight. And, and we, could, we could be looking at a very similar finish to last year where, you know, USC had their chances. They lost uh, at, you know, the final seconds of a, of a couple games versus Arizona State and Utah last year. Kind of blew their chance. UCLA blew their chance. Um, it ended up being Arizona coming from uh, out of nowhere, winning it with a true freshman quarterback in Anu Solomon, and uh, all of a sudden they're playing, playing Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. So uh, we could see a very similar outcome this season. We'll, you know, one of, those, one of those four teams winning it. And as far as the Pac-12 North, you know, Oregon's clearly the favorite, given how much talent they have. Uh, but I think Stanford is, without a doubt, uh, going to be more competitive and definitely, you know, kind uh, of biting for that number one spot. Uh, it just all depends on the quarterback play of Kevin Hogan. You know, can he put together – the type of year um, that'll get him kind of over the hump of winning some of those big games and get him to the Pac-12 championship. So, so I'm, I'm kind of curious to Matt. Uh, this is this is something that that 
you know, I, I lose touch obviously with the West Coast being up here in the Northeast quite a bit. And I actually, uh, I did a BC game last year, uh, and we, it was the game after they had actually upset USC. And I remember sort of having that apathetic feeling like, okay, you know, obviously they're under sanctions. Some stuff has happened. It's obviously a tough time, maybe a down year or two. But then you come back, and Brady and I were referencing these these uh, sort of the rivals and Athlon and some of those other rankings for scouting. Uh, and USC is is a perennial favorite. They're usually in you know a top ten kind of program. This year, they're everybody has them. Either they're a one, two, or three. They they just killed it in recruiting. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about how Steve Sarkeesian, I have a hard time with that one, was able to pull that off sort of under these, these restrictions and really looks like, you know, there, there's some reason for hope out there at USC. Yeah, well, I think last year, everyone everyone tends to forget. I mean, a 9-4 and four season by no means is, is, is the standard at USC, at least what that's, that's not, that's not, you know, accepted, you know. So, so this year is a very, very important year for Sark, and he started off on a great foot by getting in. Uh, what many people say was the number one recruiting class. But when you look at last year, and, and I think some people forget about this, is, yeah, they lost heartbreakers. They lost Arizona State was a heartbreaker. Utah was a heartbreaker. Boston College ran all over them, but still at the end, they still had an opportunity. They only lost that by a touchdown. So dressing, I think against Utah, they dressed maybe 50 scholarship players, which is is, is incredible to be that competitive um, against the top-notch pl- team like Utah, who, who's, right. who's a sleeper in the Pac-12 South this year, like they are every year, um, and to be competitive week in and week out with a depleted roster. So I always kind of look at it, you know, obviously 9-4, they lost. Um, it is what it is. But when you look at their roster, now you look at this year, I think the reason why expectations are, are so high is, A, number one, they have their quarterback back, who's probably the most underrated quarterback in the country, um, a true team leader, a true gritty just good football player and runs that offense to perfection. And then you have a lot of star guys back like a Dory Jackson and Juju Smith and Sua Cravens on defense. But now you add that and, and I think they have 77 scholarships now available. So, you know, that's almost 20 or 30 more than what they had last year. So you're going to have a lot of depth and you're going to have a lot of, you know, all these frontline guys now have guys behind them so they can get those breaks during the game. Where last year, they didn't have that. You know, they had, you know, there's a lot of walk-ons playing. There's a lot of guys that, that you never, you don't even know their names playing. So um, that's one thing. And then recruiting, as far as recruiting, Matt, it's, it's, Sark has always been a great recruiter. Um, he grew up in, in, in Torrance. He grew up, you know, 30 minutes from USC. And USC is still a brand name. You know, people still want to go there. And, and, you know, there's a couple successful years over the past four years under the under the sanctions. They were still getting top recruits. They just had to be very, very selective because they didn't have a lot of scholarships available. But now that they're back, you see all these top guys going. And and, and that's the one thing. USC sort of sells itself. You know, the McKay Center, the branding right. facility there, um, the tradition, the history. Uh, it's a lot like some of these other top-notch top programs. It sells itself. So, um this is a pivotal year. I know it's only year two, but the expectations, like both of you guys have said, you know, they're preseason favorites to win the conference. I mean, I think that's realistic, but they have to go out and prove it on the field. Um, go for it. With my own recruiting story, per se, of USC. So I injure my back, and USC was kind enough to actually let me rehab in their facility because they have this special treadmill where you basically, like, get in these spandex pants and then you zip <laughs> into the treadmill and it pumps up a foot. 
so you you run on you know like you know like less suspension. It's not your full body weight. Yeah, the, 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 like the air treadmill. Yeah, exactly, the air treadmill. Yeah. So you're stuck in this thing for like 45 minutes to an or to an hour while you're rehabbing, like just running, just running, trying to build up your endurance and strength. Well, as I'm sitting in this treadmill, I watch not one but two sets of of girls volleyball teams <laughs> the weight room at the McKay Center. And there was like I've never seen so many six foot beautiful blonde and brunette right. women in well, my that, life. That's because you went to Notre Dame, dude. <laughs> well, I don't care what every single kid would be walking into Sark's office trying to commit immediately. So it's it's actually funny it's actually funny that you mentioned that because one of the things that gets said out here a lot with I've got a I don't know, like five or six guys that I played from the University of Colorado. Uh and usually it's said it's like, Good lord, it's a gorgeous campus. Boulder is so amazing and how do they not get more people, you know, to come? Well, you just answered it. Beautiful women beat mountains, <laughs> you know, like a hundred out of a hundred times. So it is a gorgeous stadium, but uh, yeah, I, I would agree with Matt that that place must recruit itself. There, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of like you said there's a lot of things that go into recruiting, but I mean to be honest with you, and, and, and you know it's funny, but yeah, I mean it's just you got the beach, you got the girls, you got L.A. You, there's just a lot of lot of things that when you go on your recruiting trip, especially. I mean, Barry, you've seen the new facility. The facility is gorgeous. I mean, it's, it's one yeah. of the, you know, they basically went around the top five facilities in the country and combined all of them in one. I mean, it's unbelievable. So right. the tools are there. I mean, we didn't have that when I was there. I mean, we had the dungeon weight room. I mean, it was awful. Our facilities were terrible, and people still wanted to go there. So you add on the facility and just the whole kind of facade of, of – of USC and what and everything that comes with it. I mean, it's not. It's. I mean, yeah. The women's volleyball team is. I mean, there's not a girl under five eleven, <laughs> and they're all blonde, blue eyes. You know, from the beach. So it's a. It's an easy sell, I think, for some of these kids. Which is which is different. It's not just one. There's indoor and there's a beach volleyball. Right. Uh, right. Women, which is different than other universities. So. So changing direction here a little bit. Uh, you know, we're in this sort of era now where. Oregon is often used as sort of this new football example, right? They're not blue bloods. This is not sort of a program that was at the top 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even really a decade ago. But all of a sudden now they're sort of used as an example in other conferences of, you know what, with with funding and facilities and sort of the right way of recruiting, we can get athletes away from the more traditional places like maybe USC or even Notre Dame. Uh, but Oregon had a little bit of step back in recruiting, not terrible, but, you know, back towards the back end of the rankings, 15 or lower, some 20s, things like that. How do they sort of refill the cupboard at Oregon with the absence of Marcus Mariota, or was it already full and, and, and recruiting wasn't a big issue? To you, Brady, what, what's what's going on up in Oregon this year? What can we expect out of them? You know, I think they're obviously going to be competitive because they're in the Pac-12 North, with the, which is a little bit easier division, right? But uh, yes. the thing is, is, is they kind of when you lose a guy, an iconic figure like Marcus Mariota, I mean, he, and he is iconic on that, on that campus, when you look at the production he really he had over three, the course of three years, uh, and beyond that, and just his success off the field and all that, and the type of person he was, so those are some big shoes to fill. And I, and I don't think, you know, I understand you can go in there, you you could put in uh, whether it's Jeff Lockie who they've got as the returning starter, he was uh, Mariota's backup last year, or you've got um, what is it, Ver, is it Vernon Adams? Ver- I think that's how you pronounce it. From yeah, Eastern Vernon Washington. Adams. Yeah. Very successful player at Eastern Washington throughout the course of his time there. But, you know, he comes in late. He's not going to be able to come in, uh, you know, throughout the summer 
on time with some of the other players, which is going to be hard for him to adapt to a system and, you know, really get, uh, you know, the leadership and the control of the locker room and respect of the locker room when you're kind of a, a late transfer like that. And not to mention, you lose a lot of talented guys. They had both cornerbacks, Troy Hill and Ifo Ekpre Olamu, who they lost last year. Um, you know, standout corners who did a good job defensively. And then Eric Armstead on the defensive line, who, you know, was pretty, pretty stout in the pass rush. So they lost some talented guys, not a ton. They returned a decent amount back. Um, so, so I think if you're Oregon, you know, you're hanging your hat a little bit on the running game. Royce Freeman was a guy who really stepped up last season uh, amongst, you know, uh, many other Pac-12 running backs, not to completely get off topic here on Oregon, but, you know, this conference is kind of known for their quarterback play, uh, and in particular the quarterbacks that are coming back this season, but they had as many uh, 1,000-yard rushes last year at the running back position than any conference. Uh, So I think, you know, looking at that quarterback position for Oregon, which seems to be so pivotal and so important, they've got to still rely on the running game of Royce Freeman uh, if they're going to compete. But I, I, I have no doubt that they'll be up towards the top of the Pac-12 North again with Stanford. And then with with my surprise team, I'm going to say it's going to be Cal. So why don't wow. you you know about Oregon or even that division? Yeah, I, I actually agree with everything. So I, I, first of all, the Pac-12 North is going to be weak. It is going to be weaker. It's really a two-team race. Stanford is going to be much improved from last year. Like you said earlier, Kevin Hogan is back. They returned – a lot of guys defensively. It's almost this is the first time in, in, in David Shaw and really a Stanford last ten years where defensively they're still going to be really good, but they have a lot, a lot of new faces on that defense. Um, but 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 I think Oregon Oregon is actually in a good situation. They have boatloads of talent coming back on offense. They have pieces coming back on defense. You mentioned Eric Armstead, but DeForest Buckner is back, who's who's going to be you know, probably a top 15 pick in the draft next year. Uh, and speaking of Mark Helfrich uh, last week at the media days and Royce Freeman, my, my number one question was always, tell me about Jeff Lockie. What is this kid all about? What can we expect? We don't even know if he's going to be the starter. And I, and I can't even, I can't tell you how excited they are now. Obviously they're they're It's a battle, but the confidence that he ha- that, that the coach and all of them have in him operating the system. Now, he's never going to be Marcus Mariota. You know, he's never going to fill those shoes. But all he has to do in this type of offense and on this team, and especially in a weaker division this year, all he's got to do is just operate the system. I mean, he was perfect in the spring game. We know that doesn't make a whole lot of difference. But I think he's showing to his teammates in the locker room that this is a kid who's been waiting his time, and he's going to go out there, and I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. So I actually think Oregon is going to be a lot better than – you know, you know, people still have them preseason top ten. I mean, everyone still has them getting to right. the conference game, but I think they're good enough to win it. It all depends on him, but they're going to ride Royce Freeman. They're going to ride Thomas Tyner. They still have Byron Marshall, who who plays slot, H-back, and running back. I mean, they got a three-headed monster back there. Um, so they're, they're, they're solid. And, and, and about recruiting, I don't think Oregon has ever really been um, – you know, a top 10 recruiting school. I mean, maybe, maybe once or twice, they, they had never been that, but they, they get guys that fit their system. You know, they get those smaller backs. Now they're kind of going back to the Royce Freeman guy. It's a little bigger, but they just get guys that, that play well in their system. And then I think it's a credit to their coaching staff for developing these players, you know, because a lot of these recruits aren't, you know, they don't get a whole lot of five-star recruits. You know, they're going to get three-star guys. They're going to get some four-star guys. All the stars, you know, that doesn't mean anything to me. But um, right. they don't get the heavily, heavily recruited players. I think they do a great job of developing these guys. And I'll tell you what, I, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see when Vernon Adams comes in. Like Brady said, he's missing a lot of time. I don't, I, I don't think you can, even even if you have that much success, 
um, at the FCS level. I don't think you just walk in and, and take control of, of a team like Oregon and, and, and play well right away. It's going to take him time. That's why I think Jeff Lockie has the inside track. He's been there. He understands it. The, and the players love him there. So uh, it'll be interesting. But I think Oregon I think Oregon's going to be fine this year. I really do. You know, we've kind of talked about at the beginning of the show. One thing that I think that I think Oregon gets kind of this um, stigma for is being kind of this gimmicky, fast-paced mm. you know, style of offense right. and all that. And, and and although I think they, you know, maybe showed you know more toughness last year and how they can be successful running that system, they still haven't won a national championship with it. Right. And really, when it came down to it, Ohio State was just the more physical team in the national championship game, and that's something that I think you know Oregon's going to have to try to find a way. Um, I don't care if it's this year or however many years down the road. They got to find a way to be more physical up front because that's what it was. It was basically the Ohio State offensive line, defensive line beating up the Oregon offensive line and defensive line, and they just could not really control the point of attack. And they've got to find a way to either recruit those guys or, or beef them up and, and get them strong enough and nasty enough to want to do it once they get there in Oregon. Yeah, and and they're going to have that stigma and perception until they win it. I mean, that's that's the bottom line because I think when you saw uh, you know against Auburn years back. Um, I mean, you looked at, you know, Auburn versus Oregon. I mean, it was like men amongst boys. And Oregon held their own, you know, and and don't get me wrong, they held their own, but it just was a big difference, you know. And then when you look at the Ohio State, I think, like you said, they're getting players like that. Now, they're still recruiting to to their needs and their system. But, you know, you talk about Eric Armstead, you know, his his first round pick. I mean, guy's 6'7", you know, 300 pounds. DeForest Buckner is about the same. He might be even taller. So they're getting guys. Um, but until they, you know, they're flashy, they're fun to watch, but until they, I thought last year was their best chance of any, obviously, with the guy like Marcus Mariota um, to to win the title, and, and they were close, and, and Ohio State was just, you know, they were just clicking at the right time, but until until they win a championship, really, until they win a national championship, they're always going to be looked at as, oh, they're talented, they're fun to watch, they're, but they're a gimmick offense, and they can't, they can't play with the big boys. I mean, that, that's all, that's the perception. Right. And, and for me, you know, I'm, I'm relying much more on perception than reality. I, I guess on the offensive side of the ball, I definitely look at that as sort of it's more scheme gimmick, whatever you want to call it, as opposed to just sort of athleticism. But on the defensive side, I've, I've known of a lot of guys from the Oregon or from Oregon that have come out that are the, I think like the perception there is that they're they're usually smaller, faster, quicker, which me usually says athleticism. But when you get matched against an Ohio State, you have more of an issue, I'd say, around prior when you're going against Florida State, I think sometimes the concern is that you'll, you know, be out athlete, out athleted if that's a if that's a word. But it, that, that didn't feel like the case to me at all. They felt like, wow, these guys are on par, and that was sort of the moment of oh, we've arrived, and then they got beat down a little bit the week later. But um, one one real quick point here, I was sitting here in in sort of quiet reflection, trying to figure out as you guys went through both the north and south. It was curious to me that one name neither of you mentioned, but that I thought. When this transaction happened a year ago, I thought this was sort of on the cusp of doing something big. I've always been a big Chris Peterson fan. Obviously, I like when any small school like Boise State is able to be sort of an agitator in the national scene. And I thought he was on sort of this Urban Meyer path where you could go back to sort of an old an old legend, rebuild it, recruit hard there. Uh, Washington had a little less than a spectacular season in his debut I think uh what they end up at eight and six four and five in the conference not not a not a little below expectations uh coming back again as you mentioned they're certainly not one of the favorites in the north uh to to you Brady first where does Washington sit in sort of this second season with Chris Peterson 
You know, that's a good question. Uh, and it's hard to tell because, you know, they ended up losing uh, quarterback Siler Miles, who was going to be the returner coming into this season, who really, when I go back and look at last season, um, you know, Marcus Peters, the, the dynamic quarterback, got drafted in the first round. He ended up you know, being dismissed for some disciplinary actions. And it kind of led you then to look at some of the other dismissals that, that occurred during Chris Peterson's uh, first few months there. I mean, he really yeah, wanted good. to shape and have a certain type of culture. You know, I think Charlie Strong down at Texas kind of got the most flack for uh, booting some kids off, suspending some kids, right. and kind of instituting his culture. And it's because it's Texas, it gets all this attention. And then, then up in the Pacific Northwest, there's Chris Peterson, who's essentially doing the same thing. And really, um, it kind of hurt his team because, you know, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm calling the Washington-UCLA uh, game up there. It just suspended uh, Marcus Peters. He's by far the best corner. There's no doubt he's, he might be the best corner in the country last year. <clears throat> There's no doubt he's going to be in the first-round pick, cover guy. He's the guy who can lock down a lot of the speed on the outside. And Brett Hummings was able to find a couple deep balls there early that really put UCLA out in front, and Washington really could never recover. But I think it was that and a combination of the fact that, look, you've got to have a quarterback and one that's able mm-hmm. to uh, be effective or, or at least is surrounded by a ton of talent. And I think in Washington's case, they had some younger talent offensively, but Solomon Miles just didn't really have the, the – he wasn't a prolific passer and he wasn't incredibly athletic enough to go to hurt them with his legs. And in saying that, that that's going to that's gonna hurt you a lot in the Pac-12 because you've got to be able to be able to put points up on the board if you can't stop people. And, and let's be honest, you're talking about a team that had, in their defensive front seven, Danny Sheldon, first-round pick uh, to the Cleveland Browns, um, you know, Shaq Thompson, the very versatile linebacker, he's a second-round pick, uh, Johnny yep. Simu as well at linebacker position, and, and uh, Kakaha, the, the big rush end. I mean, these are all outstanding players that they all lost. So when you look at this upcoming season, I mean, Chris Peterson has his work cut out for him. I mean, he's a great coach, has a great staff, but I just don't know if they have the talent to be able to really compete. I mean, again, fortunate enough, they're playing in the Pac-12 North, North and not the South. I I, to- I totally agree. I think I think this is I think we're going to see. I thought eight wins was admirable last year. I thought you know Chris Peterson's first year uh, in a tough conference, and I I don't know if they get to six wins. To be honest with you guys, I mean, it, it's it's. There is there's no quarterback. They have a three three way race there. A couple young kids, and then um, you know Lundquist, who who had some time, Washington uh, time last year, a little bit early in the season. Um, you know, Siler Miles was a guy that you know you kind of hope he progressed in, in year two, and obviously now he's not playing anymore. Um, but defensively, they were pretty good last year. They, they were they were right there in the top, and they lose tons of talent on every level. Um, you know, a couple starters back, if that. I mean, the cupboard is bare there right now, and I think Chris Peterson is a great coach, and he'll find ways to win a few games. But this year it's going to be tough. I really believe it's going to be tough. And, um, you know, Brady, you mentioned Cal earlier. Cal is a sleeper in this division, especially in the north, um, because they have one of the best quarterbacks in the country. They have their whole offense is back. Now, defensively, they were awful last year, but a lot of guys are back, so you're hoping they can just show a little bit of improvement. So Washington is kind of just, I don't know, they're kind of getting pushed to the side. Now, it's a great program, and I, I respect Chris Peterson. I think he's a fantastic coach. But, you know, we're going to find out a lot about them when they go when they play uh, Boise State, you know, week one. I mean, that's going to be a huge test for them. But, um, yeah, things things aren't looking up for Washington in the near future, in my opinion. I mean, they open at Boise, like you mentioned, but then they go play Sacramento State. That's probably a win. Utah State's their, their next uh, week three game, and that's no gimme. Utah State can be tough. 
And then we're talking about Cal. So they start some of their conference play. And like we talked about, Cal can put up a ton of points. You've got to be able to match them in that, uh, in that game. And I don't know if they'll be able to. Then they go USC, Oregon, Stanford, Arizona. I mean, that looks like they four have, losses right there. So it, yeah, they it, have it, the number one, uh, number one toughest schedule uh, in the country this year, according to a lot of um, different sites and stuff. So yeah, they're, <laughs> it's not it's not looking promising this year for if you're a Husky fan. Well, real quick question, guys, and again, we've we've I've heard you both touch on virtually everyone in the in the uh, conference, and I think one of the names that didn't get mentioned is probably in part why he's not there anymore. Uh, Mike Riley decides to leave Oregon State and go to Nebraska. Uh, is it just a matter of sort of finding that ceiling? Is there only so much you can do in in that place? It's I'm I'm sure it's a difficult place to recruit to as well. Uh, probably some of the same complications that Oregon has, but less the facilities and finances, I guess. Uh, what is that another program that will always sort of have a ceiling or sort of what is the atmosphere out there around the uh, the Beavers? I mean, it, it's, uh, I'll go ahead. It's, it's, it's a, like you said, it's a tough place to recruit. Um, you know, I thought back in the day, Dennis Erickson did a great job. Mike Riley's a great coach. Um, everyone respects him. I, I think it was just, it's just time for change, you know. When you, when you have right. when when you're at a you have a long tenure and you're just you know you're average. You have some good players come through. You're able to recruit a little bit here and there. It's just time for change, you know. And I don't know what happened in house over there, but um, I thought they got a good hire, you know, in Anderson. Um, but it, it's it, it, Corvallis. It's 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 tough to recruit up there. And when you're competing with Oregon, people are just they're not going to go to Oregon State. You know, you're, you're going to go to right. Oregon. You're going to go to the glitz and the glamour and and, and, and the team that's winning. So, um, and when you look at their team this year, um, they're losing, you know, their best quarterback in, in, in team history in Sean Mannion, um, right. who I think, who I think is going to be a good pro. Uh, they have some guys back. They have a new offensive coordinator coming over that, that runs the spread and had a great year last year. Um, I believe at Colorado state. So they're, they're, uh, they have a good running back. I mean, they have guys, they just, they, they don't have the talent from top to bottom, I think to compete with some of the upper echelon teams. So, um, I think it's just time for change, and, and um, I think Coach Anderson is going to do a good job. They're just going to take time. I mean, you look at who they're trying to recruit against, who they're trying to get talent against. Uh, what are they really providing you as a student athlete? I mean, if I'm looking to play in the Pac-12, I just I don't see any advantage really to going to Oregon State. I think they probably get some of the more second, third tier guys, or guys who maybe have some academic issues who can't get into maybe a better institution like a UCLA or like. Stanford, USC. Um, so I think it's part of the part, part of the issue. But you know, then the other one is uh, you know where it's at, right? I mean, if you're going to go on the West Coast, everyone wants kind of sunshine and, and be on, be there near their beach and all that kind of stuff, and uh, it doesn't really provide you much of that either. Um, so I just think it's, it's an uphill battle. It's, it's one of those schools that I think is in a conference where they're all, they all, they can always get a good young guy or an older guy who kind of either wants to uh, set off into the sunset and retire there or is going to use it to um, you know, put together a few good seasons and jump off to a better to a better job. I think the most interesting part about Oregon State right now is how do you get Gary Anderson? I mean, he's a Salt Lake City guy, right, right. but, but how do you leave Wisconsin? I mean, it must be Barry Alvarez out there. Wisconsin keeps pushing guys out. It, it is a bizarre situation. Trust me. I, we were actually in studio, I think, at the time when that news dropped. And it, A, it was bizarre he left, and then B, where he went to, it's like, Okay, so we're going to be a few years from now doing this story again, right? I mean, it just seems like the place you leave, not the place you go to. But yeah, something something bizarre is uh, is in the water up there in uh, in Wisconsin. Um, 
So one of the questions I wanted to sort of put to you guys, because obviously with, with an FBF podcast, we want to try to do some very player-specific stuff. And, and there's a couple, obviously, very high-profile situations, both with Brett Hundley leaving and with Marcus Mariota leaving. Uh, what, what, what is a young quarterback who's got to go in and sort of drive, steer, I guess, these, these top-notch programs? What are they focusing on? I think in both situations, it's more or less a spread-type situation. Is it just simplified for the guy? Or are there any kind of sort of keys to sort of integrating yourself quickly when everyone around you is used to high success and you're brand new? Um, I think I think when you look at UCLA and then obviously you look at you know a guy like Josh Rosen, who in my opinion I don't think the job is is necessarily his um, as everyone else is is uh, is claiming. But get your present for. Um, sorry guys, I'm taking Cole out the garage walking. So um, uh, I think, listen, when you have a young quarterback, and, and obviously Brady and I have been through this, you know, I remember my first year starting, um, never, I mean, never played a snap, you know, like I handed the ball off once. So even though I was a redshirt sophomore, I was still young. All I remember is, okay, I had a great team around me. I had guys around me who've been there. I had seniors, I had juniors, I had veteran leadership that just said, listen, Matt, don't do too much, you know, you know, you know, get completions, get these, you know, let us handle everything. As you get more comfortable, you kind of grow in the system. And I think you prepare yourself. Um, but you have to realize that like, I don't have to be like, just cause I'm this big time. I don't have to go out there and be great. I don't have to go out there and throw for 400 yards a game. You know, I remember my first starting thought where I had like 160 yards and a touchdown. Like it was nothing, but I managed a football game. And then as you get more comfortable, um, you guys believing in you and you start getting comfortable with the reps and that's when you start to really take off as a quarterback and when you look at UCLA I mean that's a team that in my opinion I think this year last year was a blessing in disguise the expectations were so high they didn't live up to them um, they still had a great year but they didn't live up to the hype this year they're underdogs this, this year no one's talking about them you know I think they're picked you know third or fourth in the, in the Petro South and on paper, they have almost everybody back except Brett Hundley. So, right. you know, it, it, it's a it's a it's a big year for whoever plays quarterback there. But as a young quarterback, don't do too much. You know, you know, get your head in in the playbook, study as much as you can, and then just let the other guys, you know, kind of ride with you. And then as you get more comfortable, you'll be able to become, you know, kind of your own player. Yeah, for me, it's simple. I think it's a three-year plan. Uh, it's it's know your stuff the first year. Make sure you know your offense, where everyone's supposed to be, your job responsibilities and going through it. Uh, the second year comes around, it's, it's knowing their stuff. So you're really, now right. you're, you're good with your stuff, you're good with your offense, you're making sure you always understand the defensive coverages you're seeing, the blitzes and all that so you, you can understand how to utilize your offense against their stuff. And then the third year is kick some ass. And that's when you kind of have two years of playing and knowing both and you're able to go in there and really do your thing. And that works for a young player but it doesn't work for someone like Vernon Adams who's transferring in to Oregon. You know, he's going to have to find, um, you know, the ability to probably, I would say, lead more by example, not say a whole lot, do all the right things, work hard, and kind of show uh, through action what type of player he is to earn the respect of the teammates. And then once he gets his opportunity, he's got to flash. You know, he's really got to show something. He kind of can't be that game manager because he's only got a year of eligibility there. So he's got to, you know, make some heads turn and, and light the world on fire when he gets in. So final sort of walking away question here to both you guys. We're going to do this really through all five conferences. We did it last week with the Big 12. Does Where does the conference sit in, in relation to the playoff? Obviously, we're in that spot where 
there's only ever going to be four spots and there's always going to be five power conference teams. Has sort of the cream of this conference made it so hyper competitive at the top, potentially so, that it, it could hurt them getting a, a team in? Or do you think there will be a team that arises from the Pac-12 one way or the other? I always think that, you know, the Pac-12, in my opinion, and obviously the SEC is a great conference, and, I mean, the Big Ten won last year, but it's the only conference. They play nine conference games. They have a conference championship. Um, it's probably arguably the toughest to get to that, you know, to get to a playoff to the Pac-12. Obviously the SEC you could argue as well. But um, I think when you look at the same same way it happened last year, I'm not sure, you know, if you have a two-loss team that comes out of the Pac-12 conference, um, you know, especially say out of the South and they win it, I don't know if they're getting into the playoff, you know, based on what we saw last year. So, um, again, I, I think the Pac-12 conference champion has a great shot at getting uh, getting to the playoff, but um, it kind of, that, that, that's the argument, again, saying they sort of beat up on each other throughout the season to get there. So, um, you know, Brady might have a different view on it, but I, I still think they have as good a shot as anybody because it's one of the toughest conferences in the country. Um, and if you win that conference, you know, you better believe you're one of the top four teams out there. Yeah, to me, I mean, this all goes back to the Big 12 media days and listening to uh, them really talk about their conference and, and, and how there's, you know, like, you know, besides one true champion this year, and they instituted some, some tiebreakers to then allow them to determine who the one true champion is, uh, which would have avoided maybe a little bit of confusion last season for the Big 12. But, look, the Big 12 still doesn't have that 13th game like the Pac-12 or like every other conference in the Power Five. And, and I don't care what we're talking about. If you have those other four conferences with conference champions who are either undefeated or with one loss, they're going to beat out a Big 12 champion, in, in my right. opinion. Um, now, I know they're, one of, they're going to, the Big 12 is going to work towards eventually maybe having a conference championship uh, with only 10 teams. They're going to have to petition the NCAA for. But at this point in time, I just don't see that being the case. I think the most interesting part will be uh, what the Big 12 uh, commissioner kind of mentioned at, at Media Day was, look, last year, you know, you had Ohio State at number four who ended up winning it all, and then Florida State at number three who was undefeated and winning the ACC. If either of those two teams would have lost in the in their conference championship game, you would have had TCU and Baylor both in the college football playoffs. So as much as right. people want to say that 13th game is, 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 is gives them a little extra measurable, it also could play to their detriment as well. So we'll see, uh, you know, as the college football playoff wears on, we'll see uh, how those conference championship games play a factor. All right, guys, that's all the time we have today. Thanks so much, Matt and Brady. You had a blast. Great stuff. Uh, I want to tell everyone out there, thank you so much for listening to the Football by Football podcast. As always, the FBF podcast can be found streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the iTunes radio app. For daily insightful stuff from these guys and others, make sure to check out the footballbyfootball.com page. And give us a follow on Twitter at FB by FB. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.